Hello, welcome to Bible Marathon and it's dinner time. The word of God we believe is the best sustenance for the spirit, which is why we are taking our time to study and dine on the word of God. So, join us at the table for word dinner. So I would like someone to just pray for us and then we'll just jump in. Anyone who can pray, pray for us. We've passed this stage now. Please, someone pray for us. We've passed this, like, just unmute yourself and just start. Who is that? Who's going to do it? Oh, God. Thank you. Dear God, we thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity and to just fellowship with one another. Oh, God, we pray as we learn today. We pray that that the word that comes from Pastor Ernest, who you've put in our lives, and that today, as we learn, I had to be open to receiving your word that will not hide in our heart when we receive the word. We pray that we will not take this word and just like whatever we see, but we'll actually put this word to practice. This word to change our lives. We pray for the people giving the right words, giving the right examples to to be to communicate the word as you have him communicate. And we pray for our friends who are not here today that you remind them to come here. We help everybody to have a good time. Amen. Thank you very much. Let me turn off that. Can you change your view to speak up only? Oh, okay. I guess it's because of okay. Is it better now? You can confirm what's what is showing on Zoom. Yeah. If that's um, on YouTube. All right. Okay, amen, amen, amen. Thank you very much. So, who can tell us real quick what have we learned so far in Galatians? Galatians from chapter one to chapter three. Who can tell us what we've learned so far? Uh, what's that? What are you drinking? Let me see. Mute, 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 mute. We're hearing myself. I'm hearing myself. Sorry, who's that? It's me. Why am I hearing myself? Oh, okay, my YouTube is on. All right. <laughs> Sorry. Okay, Vicky, go ahead. Okay, um, so one thing, um, the first thing that comes to mind is that it's foolishness to trust in the law, to mm-hmm. um, think you can um, write, um, it's foolishness to think that you can gain right standing by obeying the law of, the law of Muslims after like your salvation in Christ. And because we started by get, we started by grace through faith in Christ Jesus, so it doesn't make sense for us to receive salvation by law. Love that. That's that's really the summary. Who else wants to add to that? Anyone? I know most of you can't speak right now. I'm just hoping for a day where we can actually all speak. I know some people are at work, some people are, you know, but I, I like the interaction. It helps me know that you're learning. After a whole investment of my time, life in romance. And then at the end, I was asking questions and, you know, I, I didn't get fever. I was very, I felt very discouraged, honestly, until some people were like, ah, no, we've been learning, no, see my notes, you know. So I don't want that to happen with Galatians because um, we have a lot more to study. And I, I want to move faster based on your response. I want to know that you are learning everything you need to learn. So um, if no one else is going to add, I will just go ahead. All right. So. Galatians chapter three, we're going to read together and then I'll just start to 
make my commentary on it. So Galatians chapter three, we've already read most of this, but I just want to share my screen and um, carry along. So read with me. All right, read with me. All right. Let me see if you can see my screen. Perfect. So it says, oh, foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ hath been evidently set forth, crucified among you. This only would I learn of you. Receive ye the spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Are you so foolish, having begun in the spirit? Are you now made perfect by the flesh? He's asking questions. Have you suffered so many things in vain? If it be yet in vain, he therefore, he therefore that ministers to you the spirit and works miracles amongst you, does he do it by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? And then he, he switches up and says, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Know ye therefore that which are faith, they which are faith, the same are children of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would justify the heathen through faith, preached the gospel before unto Abraham, saying, in thee shall all the nations be blessed. I want to pause here and just remind you of something I mentioned. Paul is saying the scripture said, the scripture saw, personalizing the scripture to say that all of scripture, the law, the prophets, we're all speaking about one very central message, all right? And I think it's a good place to talk about the purpose of the law um, or the law and the prophets, right? The law and the prophets. So let's, let's think together. We read the Bible. Let's go to Luke, Luke 24 real quick. Luke 24. Uh, it's a Bible study, so I want to bring some things to your attention, all right? In Luke chapter 24, there's a story there of Jesus. Jesus is walking, you know, um, and meets up with some disciples going to Emmaus. I'm going to put that on the screen. That's from verse 13. Behold, two men were walking to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem about three score four long. And if you're wondering what is that, that's just seven miles from Jerusalem, right? Seven miles from Jerusalem. So that's that's quite a walk. How many of you have walked seven miles before? Okay. So that is that is the distance. And then they talked together of all the things that happened. What had happened at this point? What had happened is that Jesus had been crucified, buried, and then they didn't know where it was. What's going on? You know, they were shocked about everything that was happening. So verse 15, and it came to pass that while they were communing together and reasoned, so they were talking, they were having conversation, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So who is, I thought Jesus was already dead. Who is this Jesus? Well, this is the resurrected Jesus, all right, who died and rose again, but he was still on the earth. Many people don't know that this happened. They just know Jesus died, was buried, he rose from the, from the grave. Hallelujah. After the resurrection, Jesus still appeared to many people. Jesus was still here for, for at least 40 days before he finally ascended to heaven. All right. 
So while he was still here, it was appearing to a lot of people joining them. And this was one of these situations like that. And so he went near them, but he didn't know he was the one because their eyes were hidden or holding that they should know him. So um, there was this supernatural like shielding, right? Some supernatural sunglasses from, for them to not know who he was. Now look at this. And he said unto them, what manner of communications I, are these that ye have one to another as you walk and are sad. He says, and one of them said, one of them, his name was Cleopas, answering unto him, answering said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem and has not known the things which are come to pass there in these three days? Like, are you unaware? How you say you don't know what is happening? Like, this is what is on CNN. It's like the most popular news right now. You should know what is happening in the town. Let me put in NIV, it's easier to read. And then he goes on and says, what things? This, this was the one, the thing that blew my mind. Jesus, <laughs> I feel like he was doing drama for them because he was Jesus. He was working with these guys. I mean, obviously he knew it was Jesus. They didn't know it was Jesus, but yet he's there and he's asking like, what? Talk, talk to me, tell me the gist. <laughs> so he says, what things? And then they said, ah, it's about Jesus of Nazareth. And you know why they said Jesus of Nazareth? Because that's how you refer to people back then. So I could say Simon of Saria or, you know, Paul of Tarsus, right? Because that the name was always as, associated with where they came from, right? Goliath of Gath, you know? So that's just the way it was. So now what we have today is more of just your name and your last name, right? So, but this was something cultural then where mention your name and then where you are from. So it is, oh, from Nazareth. I know that place, that kind of thing. So Jesus of Nazareth, he was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. So they're giving him the gist. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death and they crucified him. I can just imagine the energy they had because, you know, some of you know the energy you have when you want to share gist, right? It's like, ah, just keep sharing it. So they go into detail. They say, ah, they crucified him, but we hope that it was the one. We, we were hoping that this was the one that will actually redeem Israel. But the fact that they killed him means that he's not going to redeem again. Like, you know, we thought he was the one. He was healing people, a great prophet, right? And then he says, you know, we thought it was the one that was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it's the third day since all of this took place. So that means they knew or had heard that Jesus was going to rise on the third day. It was probably a rumor that was spreading at the time. And then he says, in addition, some of our women amazed us. <laughs> I like this. There's a lot to say about this, but there's no time to talk about it. So in addition, some of the women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but they did not find his body. And they came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. So they are not even believing this story but they're just sharing it. it. says, then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it just as the woman had said, but they, for him they did not see. Look at Jesus' response. Very similar to Paul's response that we've been seeing in Galatians. And some people think that Jesus is just very gentle, meek, lowly, and he is, but he will tell you as it is. So he replied them and said, how foolish you are. <laughs> And how slow of heart to believe all that the what? All that the prophets have spoken. 
This is very, very instructive. So if you've never seen this before, I want you to take note of this. What does Jesus say? You are foolish. Why? Because you did not believe what the prophet said. Now, what did the prophet say? Tells us. According to the prophets, did not the Christ have to suffer these things and then enter into his glory? So in other words, the prophets have already been telling us very clearly from the beginning of of time, since they've been writing from the very beginning, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, Daniel, Hosea, Joel, Amos, Obadiah, Jonah, Micah, Nahum, Habakkuk, Zephaniah, Higai, Zechariah, Malachi, combine everything, they've been telling you that something is going to happen. And that is that the Christ, this Messiah figure, was supposed to die. So you were expecting a Messiah that would just change everything, you would take over the government, you would win everybody, defeat the enemies, the Roman soldiers and become the king of Israel. And then Israel will not be will not take place in, in, you know, in history as the biggest powerful kingdom. But no, that was not God's plan. And if you read the prophets, you would have known this. That's what Jesus was saying. Like, you guys are foolish. You're missing the point. The prophets have been saying it. And I, we've done a study on this before. Isaiah wrote a lot about a suffering king, right? He was pierced for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities, right? The chastisement of our peace was upon him by his stripes we are healed. He was talking about a man who would suffer. And then through that suffering, the next chapter talks about, you know, behold, the light has come. The glory of God is risen upon you. By the way, that Isaiah 60 verse 1 that a lot of people will shout and write. In fact, they have conference titles, Arise and Shine. They say, it's your time to shine. Go and shine for Jesus is <laughs> so off point because that's not what the, the text is. It's saying we just talked about this, the sufferings of Christ. You know, now the glories, your light has come. Salvation is here. That kind of thing. That's really what Isaiah 60 is about. Um, but he, Jesus was like, did not the Christ have to suffer these things? You know? Sorry. Did not Christ have to? So this is this is this is it. So let me put um let me let me put put it on the screen because I want you guys to see it very clearly. Um yes, oh it's on the screen. Okay. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things and enter into his glory? Now, what does Jesus do? Many people would have expected Jesus to just go the simple route of saying, guys, you didn't believe the prophet. I'm here, it's me. Look at me, touch me, see my, you know, what he did for all the disciples, you know, touch my holes, see my side. And they'll say, oh, master is you. And then they worship him and, you know, to be like a Disney movie. And they lived happily ever after. That's not what happened. What did Jesus do? Jesus did a Bible study with them. <laughs> oh, my Lord. This is, this is mind-blowing. And I'll tell you why it is very instructive. Why am I even going here? in our study of Galatians. He says, and beginning with Moses, when I say Moses, what do I mean? You guys have been here for a while. You should know what Moses represents. You've heard me teach this before. What is Moses? The law. The law. Thank you. So let's do the calculation together. What is the law? When he says beginning at Moses, you said the law. What is the law? What, what, um, 
what combination of scriptures represent the law? First five books. Right, the first five books of Moses. Hence, beginning with Moses. Does that make sense? So the first five books, which were understood to be the Torah, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, represent the law. And Moses was the one known to have written those books. Does that make sense? So that's Moses. So Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy. Now we have Joshua, Judges, First Samuel, First Second Samuel, Ruth, right? Uh, first Kings, Second Kings, uh, First Chronicles, Second Chronicles, which have some stories about what was happening, you know, in 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 Jewish kingdoms. Then you now go to Israel, Nehemiah, Esther, Job. You have some of the writings. Then we go to the prophets. So Isaiah, all the ones I just listed, Isaiah. Um, I've forgotten the list again. Anyway, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, right? All the way down to Malachi. That's prophets. So imagine Jesus walking with these people for many hours and, <laughs> and he's just talking to them. In Genesis, look at what was said. He'll quote something and say, this was speaking about the Christ. This was actually what was happening. He would suffer. And I can just imagine him going to like Genesis 3.15 and he's teaching them, you know. Let, let, me, let me even go there. Exactly. Some of the books, historical books were written by prophets themselves. So a lot of these um, chronicles, second chronicles too, many of them are, are, can be traced to prophets. So it will still include the books of the prophets, right? Let me show you um, one verse that he could have gone to. Genesis 3.15, and many of you have heard this before, is what theologians call the Proto-Evangelion. Proto it's the first presentation of the gospel. So imagine Jesus going through Moses, right? Beginning at Moses, and he says, oh, you know, in the beginning God created the heavens and the earth, and then man fell, and you know, you know that story, right? The disciples will say yes, you know, because they're supposed to know the Torah. And then he says, do you remember that point where, you know, God was telling these people what they had done. I was telling them what will happen. He said, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. And he says, he will crush your head and you will strike his heel. And they will say, yes, we remember that. And Jesus will say, well, that's prophetically about the Christ. That he will crush your head though. Let me, let me put it in the KJV because this one has... Help, help made us lose the, the point made here. It says, and between, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, it shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So what is he talking about here? He says, thy seed and her seed. Her seed represents the seed that comes from a woman. Biblically speaking, when you say seed, the equivalent of seed today is sperm. Where does the sperm come from? I'm telling you, in 2030 or 2035 or 2040, some, somebody will come up and say women have sperm because I don't know where this world is going. <laughs> but I hope we are still sane and we understand that it is the man that has the seed. So when you see it, 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 it you know, a phrase saying her seed, it should already tell you something profound, that this thing would be, have an origin with the woman, not with a man. 
and there's going to be a conflict between thy seed and her seed. So who is thy seed? Talking about the devil, because he's putting enmity between the devil and the seed of the woman. And it shall bruise thy head. What does that mean? That's the sign of defeat. When you bruise the head of something, that's you are defeating it, right? You're bringing it to an end. Where it says, and thou shalt bruise his heel. So while the seed of the woman will bruise the head, this, this seed of the serpent will bruise your heel. And so that's just a picture of how through the death, the bruising of the heel of man, the devil is crushed. And, and this is a, a powerful picture of the gospel right here. You know, and I can just imagine this is one out of many. This is like one of the hardest to explain, but there's many more, you know, looking at, for example, he goes to Exodus. He says, oh, you know how the children of Israel were released from bondage? Well, that's what the, the Christ came to do, to release you from bondage of the, you know, the law of the slave masters. Now you have freedom. And he just keeps going on and shows all the types and shadows in the scriptures pointing to him, and he gets to the prophet and quotes Isaiah and says, oh, you know, he had no form or beauty to behold. He was stricken, you know, he was, he was treated, mistreated, maltreated, you know, God forsook him. And you just see all those things, just quoting the, the, the Old Testament and teaching through, through it. And at the end of the day, they're like, wow. This guy is such a great teacher. We never knew that this was, this is exactly what the Messiah was supposed to experience. And then he gets to verse. Let me show you. We're back to Luke chapter 20, 20 24, verse 27, right? Are you guys still here with me? Luke 24, 27. It says, and as they drew, and they drew nigh onto the village, NIV, please. And they approached the village to which they were going. Jesus acted as if he were going further. I don't know. Jesus was actually just acting drama for these people. So he had done an extensive teaching and was acting like he was going to go like beyond Emmaus. His purpose was to be with those people, but he was acting like he was going further. And guess what? They begged him. The Bible says in verse 29, they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in and stayed with them. And what did he do when he was with them? While he was at the table with them, he took bread. So now, oh dear Lord, I wish I had more time to explain this thing. So he had been teaching them from the law. Guess what is in the law? Passover. And he has explained it to them. So now he's sitting with them and he takes bread, something that Jesus did very often with his disciples and something that the Jews were practicing that he would have already explained. Christ is the Passover. It was the representation of you know, the boy, his body was broken for, for you. Now, they don't know he's Jesus yet. He takes bread, he breaks it, he gives thanks and breaks it and gives it to them. Guess what the Bible says happens after? Then their eyes were open. In other words, they realized what was happening. Oh my God, <laughs> this is him right here. Like everything he was teaching us was about himself. But one thing Jesus did not do was tell them, I am he. He just went to the scriptures. That's so profound. It means that if you want to know Jesus, people that are just saying, Jesus, I just want to see you. I just want to feel you. I want to feel your presence. I want to touch you before I know you are real. No, 
That's not how to know Jesus. You know Jesus from his word. He wants you to experience him from his word because guess what? Feelings are fickle. The word doesn't change. And so your feelings might be, be, you know, they're very fickle. Today, you feel very, very in love with God. You feel like, oh, wow, Jesus is living with me. The next day, you feel like you are the sister of the devil, you know, and it's not true. Nothing has changed. Your position in Christ is the same. And so how do you get back your position? You look at the word of God. You go back to the word. You say, oh, okay, Dubai, okay, I'm still good. <laughs> as long as the, I don't know if maybe yesterday you checked your Bible and the Bible did, you know, look different. And as that happened to you, you go to the Bible and um, Mark chapter 2 verse 1 is no longer there. As that, <laughs> It's always going to be there, right? The word of God never fails. So if you need to remind yourself of any truth, go back there. And so instead of Jesus giving these people an experience, he gives them his word. Now, how does this relate to Galatians 3? Let's go back. And you see how clearly all these things I've just said connect. So Galatians chapter 3, Paul is still trying to tell them why they are foolish. Just like Jesus was like, you people are foolish. Why were they foolish? Not because they were stupid or not smart. But they knew something and they did not act on it, right? That was the real context. And so Paul does a Bible study. Why are you guys foolish? Well, look, let's go back. And he does that in verse 6, just like Jesus did with those guys. And says, consider Abraham. He believed God and he was, he was counted righteous, right? And then he goes on, still teaching on, on that. Those who believe are children of Abraham. Your belief is what makes you a child of Abraham, is what makes you a child of promise. And then he says, the scripture, which is where I was going, foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith. That's also something the scripture taught very extensively, that through believing in what God was going to do, you will be made righteous by faith. Just the same way Abraham believed what God was going to do, and he was made righteous by faith. So God revealed the gospel to Abraham by saying, all nations will be blessed through you. And all nations means all nations. So Jews, Gentiles, wherever you come from, you will be blessed the same way Abraham was blessed. And how was Abraham blessed? By believing. That's why he says, so those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. Does that make sense? So salvation, your righteousness, your right standing with God comes by faith. And why is Abraham referenced? Because he was the first person to experience this thing we're talking about. Now, let's look at the other side. This is another argument Paul is trying to make. Galatians 3 from verse 10. All who rely on observing the law and are under a curse. And I explained this last week. Why are they under a curse? Because curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. This is in Deuteronomy 21. You, you will remain cursed if you try to do everything the law says and you fail at it because you are trying to get your righteousness from the law. So if you keep failing, forget it. And so it says you are cursed because the, re the requirements of the law come with punishment. If you fail to do it, you are cursed. And so if you want to follow the law, well, go all the way. Just know that the curses are waiting for you because you don't only get to do what the law says. You have to do it perfectly. There's no pick and choose with the law. 
if, the, if you say you want to go with the law, you must go with the law perfectly. And so based on that conclusion, what does he say? Clearly, <laughs> it's obvious to the, to the blind and audible to the deaf. Clearly, no one is justified before God by the law. The law cannot make you right before God. You can, you can try, you can keep 99% of the law, but guess what? If you feel at one point you are guilty of everything, James chapter 2 from verse 10, right? And he says, why is no one ju justified by the law? Then he goes back to Habakkuk 2, 4 and says, see, the righteous will live by faith. And how is he said in the King James? The just shall live by faith. The actual rendering is the just shall live by his faith. So it means that the way the just man is just is by his faith not by his works. I mean, that's illogical because normally the person who is righteous, how do we judge someone is right? He's doing right things, right? That's how we would normally judge. But the law, the Old Testament is saying that the person who is right with God is just and right with God by his faith. So it's not a new concept. That's what Paul is trying to show us. Verse 12. He says, the law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. So if you say you are under the law, you must do all the things the law demands. Because the law, whoever keeps the law lives by the law. That's the point he's making here. So that means the law cannot be based on faith. For anyone who's trying to mix both of them, you can't mix grace and works. You cannot mix law and faith. It's either you are following the law for your salvation or faith for salvation. It's either you are following grace for salvation or your works for salvation. You cannot mix both. And that's what Romans 11, let me go show you that verse. Romans 11, uh, verse 4, I think. Uh, Romans 11, 6. Romans 11, 6. It says, and if by grace, then it is no longer by works if it were grace would no longer be grace who can explain what that means i think it's as it's as simple as that really i don't think there's a need for explanation if it's by grace meaning if it is a free gift it's no longer by works if i give you something as a gift that you did not work for it is no longer by your work it's not because of works it's like you know, maybe I looked at all the applications um, to a job and I'm the one offering the job. And I did not look at all the applications to decide. I just looked at somebody and I said, oh, I like you. I give you the job. Now, at that point, because it is by grace, it is not by their resume. It is not by their works. Do you get that logic? It's not by their submitting application. This person did not. While they were dead in sin and trespasses, in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. I gave the gift, and all you have to do is accept it. So it says, if it were grace, and or if it were, grace will no longer be grace. That means if it was by works, then grace is no longer grace, because grace means free gift. If I'm paying you for something that you did, that's not grace. If I pay you for something you did not do, that is grace. All right, and that, that's so important to understand. Um, let's see. 
So does it, does everyone understand what I'm saying so far? I need some feedback, guys. Please. All right, good, 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 good. So we proceed. The next one says, uh, sorry, I'm in conditions. Three from verse, uh, yes, 12. Okay, so Galatians 3, 12. The law is not based on faith. On the contrary, the man who does these things will live by them. Um, and then he says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law. All right, now this is the part that we stopped at. And I want to really explain this today. It says, Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. So I told you the last time I said, tell me where this text was picked up from. Who can tell me where in the Old Testament was this phrase, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. Where was it picked up from? Who's talking? Great. How did you find out? Deuteronomy what? And how? Because I don't know if okay, some people would I, hear. I can't remember the exact. I can't remember the exact um chapter. I think maybe chapter thirty something. But I can't remember the exact chapter. But I remember that it was during like the reiteration of the law when they were reading the law to them again and then. They yeah. Were, um, like so, the children of Israel agreed that they were going to do everything in the book of the law, and then they were like, "Okay, for everyone that doesn't do." So that's that was that's a previous verse, but. Yeah, yeah, you're close to it. So it's Deuteronomy 21, 23, and it's on the screen now. It says, you must not leave his body on the tree overnight. Be sure to bury him that same day because anyone who is hung on a tree is under God's curse. So according to the law of Moses, it was a cursed thing. It was a shameful thing for anyone to be left hanging on a tree. Now, you're wondering how did they get on the tree, right? <laughs> so normally what would have happened was that they would have either, you know, done a crime and killed. And so to display to everyone, to warn them, like this, this is, you know, something shameful that they've done, they will hang them on a tree for people to see. But according to the law, they have to bury him that same day. Because if it if it stays up overnight, that is a curse. That 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 um, situation brings them under a curse. So the law of Moses specifically states: don't make the land of um, Israel that I'm giving to you. Don't make it a thing that is desecrated. Don't treat it anyhow. And so that was one of the laws, right? If anyone is hanged on a tree, they shouldn't stay up. For long because it's 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 shameful to take it down, bury them as they should. And so Paul is trying to remind them that see, Jesus Christ has replaced everyone in, from in their shame, in their state of shame, and has taken on the curse for us. And so he's using the old testament to show us this imagery. That's why you know he's quoting Deuteronomy 21:23. Curse is anyone who hangs on a tree. You are cursed with God's curse. And uh, you know, what is interesting is when you hear curse, you know, who cursed Jesus? You might say it was the thief on the cross, right? One of the thieves on the cross that 
blasphemed against Jesus. You know, there were two of them. There was one of them who believed and said, don't speak, he's an innocent man. The other one said, ah, you, you think you are, you know, who you say you are. Why don't you release yourself? Why don't you set yourself free if you're truly the son of God, right? So you're seeing two, two different people. One of them is kind of speaking uh, with, with respite to him. Who else could have cursed Jesus? Well, the soldiers. I hope you know that when he was about to be crucified, he flogged him, he spat on him, they treated, maltreated him. They, they, you know, they played games with Jesus. They, they, they blindfolded him. How many of you have read this? They blindfolded him and they said, you're yeah, a prophet, right? Prophesy who hits you and they will slap him. Your own king, your Messiah, they were slapping him, they were pushing him and they would say, who hits you? Like playing games, like pick, um, what's that thing they do? What's that game where they tell you to guess who did something? That's what they were doing for Jesus. Very embarrassing. So you could say, okay, these people, well, they cursed him. They treated him wrongly. But it might interest you to know that it was God that actually cursed Jesus. And why did he do that? For us, let me take us back because you may not really see that that's what it's saying, but it's implicitly implied or, you know, he says, Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. So how did he become a curse for us? He had to take on the curse that we deserve. Remember in Deuteronomy, it says, anyone who is hanging on a tree is under God's curse. So we are, in a sense, being replaced from that tree by Jesus. So there's a metaphorical sense in which Paul is trying to connect the dots. But in the real sense, we have the judgment of God by default. Everyone on the earth, if you've read Romans 1, you see that it says, the, the, the righteousness of God has been revealed to all creation because of wickedness and ungodliness. So the wrath of God is a real thing. The curses of God are real. But what Jesus did was he took the curse upon himself in our stead. And that's what this text is saying. He became a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who is hung on a tree. And he says, verse 14, he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles. When we say redeem, what does redeem mean? What's the meaning of redeem? Hmm. Bible class. Eh? To buy back. Okay, to buy back, right? So, I mean, a good example is when I say redeem your, you know, you you get scratch card. Maybe you did one of those bets, uh, this thing, and you have to go and redeem, redeem your price. So you scratch the card, you go on and you redeem it. In other words, you're getting what's, you 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 should get like something that you need you have it but you need to redeem it in other words to get back to take to take your possession right but buy back is a very good way to explain it so redeem means to to take ownership back of what is truly his you know humanity was christ's all things were made by him for him through him and so when he says he redeemed us that's his way of taking us back full ownership all right, so he redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ, that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. So we receive the promise of the Spirit by faith. which takes us back to the point Paul has been trying to emphasize from the beginning. He was warning them and correcting them. Somebody has been teaching you a false gospel. 
somebody has been misleading you from the truth, right? And he says, there's no other gospel than this one. And then he comes back to describe the gospel and says, you guys are you're foolish. Why would you start something in the spirit under grace, outside of the law, and try to continue receiving your righteousness by the law? It is by faith, and you must sustain it and hold on to it by faith. And so he's bringing everything full circle by saying, the Holy Spirit that you received when you believed came by faith, not by works. So Jesus' sacrifice, his redemption was for you so that the blessing of Abraham might come to you, the Gentile, the one who was you know, outside of the promise of God, outside of the, the um, what's it called? Outside of the, the, the commonwealth of Israel, something that the Israelites had you know, access to, the Gentiles now have access to in Christ. And, and we're going to see more of that when maybe when we get to Colossians, that what God did was that through Christ's death, he broke down the middle wall of partition. There's no longer Jew, there's no more Gentile. At the time, the Jews were the special people of God. Now, we are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation as a whole. If you're in Christ, you are one in him. So let's go on. So Paul is about to use some examples that people can relate to. So he, he uses this analogy. So let's continue. Oh, the battery of this thing is low. I hope you guys can still see me. I'm just going to increase the brightness. Okay. All right. So, yep. So he says, brothers, let me take an example from everyday life. Just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. How many of you have been to it? Uh, I don't know if this is a good example, but so you wanted to get a venue for an event and you signed a contract to that place and you filled everything, you signed it, you've put your name, your signature, everything. And then maybe three days after you come and you say, ah, I want to add this, I want to change this. In normal human terms, under human governments, people are not going to let you change that, right? Who can, who can tell me an example of just a human binding contract? You sign something, and by signing that thing, you are bound by that thing, you know? Because, I mean, it's hard to give this example when, you know, I'm thinking Nigeria. But here, it makes so much sense to me. Like, for example, I just paid for a particular location for, for an event, right? And I filled the documents. I had to sign, 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 sign here, sign here, sign here, put dates. If I go back and say I'm not doing it again, do you know they can take me to court? Because I signed it. It's an agreement. So he says, Paul is trying to say, let me use the human example so you understand it. From everyday life, if we add a contract, a covenant, we come together, we make a, an agreement and we write something. He says, so just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant, so it is in this case. A better example would be a case of marriage. Do you realize that if you're getting married, you're going to sign some documents too, right? You're going to sign something. You're going to put your signature saying, I am marrying this person. That person too has to sign. They have to do it in the presence of many witnesses. And then officially you are married, right? That's how it works. Can that person come tomorrow and just say, I throw the paper away. I'm not married anymore. It's a contract, more ideally a covenant, but 
a contract all the same. You cannot just change it. To change that contract, guess what you must do? What must you do? What can you do to change a binding contract of marriage? Hello. So I said dissolve it. Dissolve it with what? You put uh, acid or what? <laughs> you sign another contract to another contract. Exactly. And what is that contract supposed to do? Nullify it. It's a contract. Or a it's a breach of the contract. But it is another contract that needs to be made. It's like a divorcement, a certificate of divorcement, right? So you have to do something very serious to ratify or to change an existing agreement. That's in human terms. That's everyday life example. And so Paul now says, just as no one can set aside or add to a human covenant that has been duly established, so it is in this case. In what case? It says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. This, please, this, I don't want you to miss this part. This is very, this is the best part. I, I think I'll just stop here. It says the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say and to seeds, meaning many people, but and to your seed, meaning one person who is Christ. Who can tell me the implication of this? Why is he even mentioning the distinction between seeds and seed. Ah, Paul is such a brilliant teacher. Who can, if you get this thing, you are getting money today. Okay. Uh, there's no way. Okay. But I have to be impressed. I have to be impressed. I'll listen to everybody. Yeah, talk. Okay, so um, Galatians 3, the promises were spoken to Abraham and to his, the scripture does not say unto seeds, meaning people, but unto your seeds, meaning one person is Christ. So seed, like when when the promise was coming, the promise was made to one seed. So it was very, very specific, right? And if you, I think if you go back to Genesis, yeah. right, God made the promise to Abraham. And then when it was time, he made that same, that in his seed, is um, in um, through his seed, um, what's the, what's the, Sorry. his descendants yeah. shall be poultries his seed right and yeah. one would think it's Isaac but then Isaac came and that same promise was made and then Jacob came and that same promise was made so it was definitely referring to one person right but then Paul was explaining here that he didn't say unto seeds because like I think God promised Abraham that he was going to be father of many nations or something mm -hmm. like that so it was mm -hmm. not referring to like many people not referring to like all the children that would all the children that is going to be like all the nations, like it was referring to like someone particular. That's why it was singular. Yeah, you just said what the text says. I want this. Okay, that, I mean, very good explanation. But it's, can I add who wants to try? Yeah. Can I add something? Mm -hmm. So when you said to his seed, what came to my heart was when um when God spoke to the this serpent, the serpent and Eva and Adam, and yeah. said, You will bruise the heel of his seed, right? And his seed will um, crush your head. So, from that beginning, even before Abraham, God was speaking specifically to one person, and that seed is Christ. So, that's what I thought about. I don't know, just to add to Victoria's or not necessarily complete answer. Okay, so 
so you are kind of still saying the same thing. Let me see. Maybe I have to rephrase the question. So I hope that's not too loud. You can hear me, right? So okay, let me let me help put it this way. I'm putting I put these two scriptures side by side so you can understand what 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 he's going with. He says, let me take an example from everyday life. The way you cannot set aside a covenant that is duly established. This is how it is in this case. And it tells you a little bit of the case. The promises were spoken to Abraham and to his seed. The scripture does not say to his seeds. Why is it significant that he says to his seed and not to his seeds? What aspect of a covenant in this? Yeah, Victoria, go ahead. Um, no, 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 Victoria. Um, um, Ola Leia. Right. Okay, is, so is, it because, okay. is it because the promise was made between God and Abraham? Like um like a covenant is between I mean it could be between um it's with someone and one party and one other party. So like two opposing sides. So mm. opposing sides, one party. Is it because this, the pro the promise was made specifically to the family of Abraham? And that's why um because that family or that that promise, this I don't know how to say. Is this okay? Somebody is thinking. Somebody is thinking in the right direction now. Yeah. So every, you people are right, but there's something that you need to you need to connect here. And I think Yano is is on on track. She said something very important. She said, "When you say to seeds, what would that mean? It would mean to the people of Israel." Right? What is the insignificance of to the people of Israel? It means it is excluded. It is excluding everyone else. But the, the way it was written, it says to stand to your seed. Meaning, if you are said to your seeds, okay, so it's, it's God having a covenant with the Israelites. Guess what that covenant was? Which what, what was the covenant God had with Israelites? Just say it, unmute yourself. What was the covenant God had with the Israelites? Is a simple word. The what? Three-letter word. Yeah. The, what was the covenant God had with the people of Israel? What was it? What did He give them? The law. We've been talking about. Yeah, the law. Thank you. Yeah, the law. Okay, yeah. Uh -huh. So the, that was already. Oh, you did. Okay, I'm sorry. I didn't see it. But yeah, the law. I want you to. I want you to get it. I think you guys are on track. But yeah. So, okay. Yeah. Can I? Can Say something, please. You like this money? Yeah, talk, talk, talk. Yeah, <laughs> it's never, it's never like, um. So yeah, just in line with what we are talking about, right? Mm -hmm. So if he had said to his seeds, just like what you said, then the mm -hmm. covenant would have been, then I think would, then the covenant would have been the law. Like we would have to attain that righteousness by law, right? Because, but since it is just to his seed which is Jesus Christ, then it is what just, then that covenant can only be actualized by what Jesus Christ brought. Beautiful. And you know what's interesting? I like that. Thank you very much. And I hope you are getting the gist. So when people say, I'm, I'm in covenant with God, I have a covenant with God, you're not actually correct. The man in Christ does not have a covenant with God. You are a product of the covenant God has with his son. The covenant relationship, they are true. There's the legal covenant under the law. 
God's covenant with the people of Israel. That's the law. So it's either you're under that covenant or you're under the covenant God has with his son. And if you're under the covenant God has with his son, you are a product of that covenant. You're not in covenant with God. That's not doctrinally um, explained, right? That's not the way it works. Um, Priest says, this makes sense when you read down to verse 18. Okay, good. So let's just follow the text. Maybe I should have allowed us to read it before allowing you to explain. But yeah, it says the scripture does not say and to seeds, because what that will mean is the law. And, no, and Paul cannot explain boldly or confidently that the relationship, the, the salvation plan of God is through grace and not the law. He will not be able to sustain it if it said seeds. But he said seed, meaning God had a covenant with someone, one person. And he says that person is Christ. And look at what he says in verse 17. What I mean is this. So this is what I was basically ex- asking you to explain. It's the next verse. So if you are taking time to read the next verse, maybe you'd have, you'd have been able to answer it accurately. But you guys tried, by the way. But it's Bible study. So I really want you to like really understand the point. He says, what I mean is this. The law, the three-letter word, introduced 430 years later. When did it come? It came after Abraham, long after Abraham, which was the first covenant that he made. He said, to your seed. Meaning that God's, the first covenant, when we say, you know, the old covenant and the new covenant, we're actually not even right to say it that way. Because the first covenant was not the old covenant. The old covenant was the law, right? And then we see the new covenant is the covenant of grace. But when was the new covenant given? Many verses before says the scripture foresee it. And so the gospel was preached to Abraham. So before the law even came, Abraham came before Isaac, Jacob, right? Before Israel, before the law. So he says, before the law came 430 years later, it says it does not set aside the covenant that was previously established by God with Abraham and his seed, singular, and thus do away with the promise. Do you know what this is saying? This is so profound. It means that the law was a placeholder. The real covenant was the covenant God had with Abraham. Are you still there? Have I lost you? We're about to round up. This is this is some your, your brain might be sweating a little bit, but I really want you to get this. The real covenant that God had was with Abraham and his seed. And who is the seed? Jesus, because Jesus would come biologically and um, from a genealogy standpoint from Abraham. But it is Jesus that is the seed in question. And that is whom God has the covenant with. You know, he says, I'm going, I'm going to give you what you must do. And you do it. If you do it, you are blessed. And so Jesus meets every requirement of the law and meets the requirement of his father. Dies a death, is buried, is raised from the dead, fulfilling everything. So God highly exalted him. He obeyed even to death on the cross. So he got the result, the blessing of his work. So God highly exalted him, gave him a name. And at the name of Jesus, every knee bows. So Jesus is ruler of all rulers, king of all kings. And so where are you in that covenant? You are a product of the covenant. Because you believe in Jesus, you are brought into that. 
So you cannot be under the law of Moses. The law of Moses was a placeholder. It came 430 years after. And next week, we're going to learn more about what the purpose of the law was, how it came, what it's supposed to be, you know. But I hope the point is made clear. The law introduced 430 years later does not set aside the covenant previously established by God. God already established the covenant. He said to your seed. And thus, it does not do away with the promise. And then verse 18, just like she said, for if the inheritance depends on the law, then it's no longer, it no longer depends on the promise. I like the flow. I want you guys to, when you go back, you know, study this for yourselves. Read it again and again and again, and it will make sense. Try different translations. If the inheritance depends on the law, if getting your blessing depends on following the law in its entirety, then it no longer depends on a promise. Just like we read in Romans 11, if it is by grace, then it's no longer by what? If it's by what, it's no longer by grace. But God, in his grace, gave it to Abraham through a promise. And what is this inheritance? Who can answer it in a simple sentence? What is the inheritance that we receive, not by the law, but by a promise? What is that inheritance? The Holy Spirit, the promise of the Spirit. And if anybody else said righteousness by faith, you're also correct. All right, praise God. Any questions? I've already gone past time. Well, any questions on this? There's so much good stuff to talk about, but time is time is fast spent. Did this make sense? Okay. Did anyone get confused? Hello? Hello, 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 hello. Okay, Daphne, let me see. I see your hand up. I'm not I'm answering your question. You said did anyone get confused? I raise up my hand. Okay, yeah, go ahead. Share share what's you know, you want to clarify. So I'll just, that'll be the last thing I'll discuss. I don't think it's something that can be clarified in like a short period of time. I'll probably have to read it over and over, as you said, with different okay. Yes, you, you need to. I've read this thing a lot. <laughs> and if I read it again, I'll probably see a better, simpler way to explain it. But just three things to remember. Number one, God made a promise to Abraham. And a promise is always greater than a law. If God makes a promise to you, he must fulfill it, right? It's a promise. And in Hebrews, we'll see that he did not just make a promise. He swore on top of that promise. <laughs> Wait, he didn't need to, but he swore. We'll talk about that when we get to Hebrews. But the point is, God wanted to do something. He wanted to make the whole world righteous by faith. So he tells Abraham long before the law even comes into existence so people who are trying to hold on to the law oh the law is the way i'm supposed to be made right with god paul is trying to break that logic the law is not for that purpose if you think you can be made righteous by the law you're wasting your time because god already told abraham how it would happen before the law came 430 years before the law even came and so this is a great text to, to use to explain you know the gospel of god's grace to anyone who is struggling with this law mentality like oh yes you are saved but to keep your salvation you need to continue believe you know doing all the things the law says that if you fail at the, in the law you go to hell have you heard people i'm sorry to deviate but have you heard people that actually have that theology that because you are not meeting what the law demands you are going to hell fire 
I literally just read something like like while we're on this call in line with that, I had to correct the person, but I haven't got to okay. And and so the fact that the fact that that's even the way some people think, Galatians is such a powerful, life transforming, relieving promise of God. It's like okay, you think that it is your performance that keeps you right with God. Paul is trying to say you are foolish. You are very foolish. You think, I'm sorry to say it like that, but that's like you think that it's by keeping the law of Moses and all these commandments that God will keep looking at you as righteous. Instead of you to look at what his son did, you are diminishing the work of Christ. Instead of you to trust in, in what he did and live righteous, not because the righteousness you are doing is making you right before God, but but as a as a eulogia to God, like God, you made me righteous. I would only live to serve you and do your will. The reason you live righteously and holy is because Christ has done the work already. He has finished it. So you can trust him. You're not doing it to gain his approval. You're not doing it to be accepted. You're not using it to keep your subscription plan of salvation on. You know, some people are just trying to renew their subscription. You know, every ah, sin of commission, omission, permission, I pray that all of them are forgiven. And, and God is trying to say, if you're in Christ, if you truly are in Christ, those sins are forgiven. So you dust yourself up, you move on, you keep living a life of righteousness. Don't, don't think that your righteousness is dependent on your works, which is why he said, why are you foolish? Haven't begun in the spirit. You want to continue in the flesh. I didn't teach you like that. I taught you the grace of Christ. I taught you the gospel. And if anyone teaches anything different from this, he said, let him be accursed. That's how serious this is. So I want to I encourage you, go back, read Galatians from chapter one to where we are right now. If you have any questions, bring it up. But that is the core of this. The core is you think you can earn your righteousness or your right standing with God. In summary, you, you think you can go to heaven just by living a righteous life. You are missed the point. It is only faith in Christ that gives you access to God. Only faith in Jesus. And that was because it was through faith that the promise was um, enacted between God and Abraham. Abraham believed God, and that's what made him righteous. So if you believe, you, you are made righteous as well. All right. I hope that is clear, and I hope that helps you. <sighs> Great time today. Thank you all for joining. Let's just pray real quick and then I'll let you go. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your beautiful word, the word of truth. It lives, it abides forever. It reveals to us your counsel, your will, your plan. And we see even in Galatians that it's your desire that we trust in Christ for our salvation. We trust in Christ for our sustenance. That even in this salvation that we have received through faith, we keep through the same faith, not by works, but by believing in the one who saved us by his blood. Help us to hold fast to this truth. And when, when we get tempted by the accuser to tell us and to show us how frail and evil and sinful we are, we will respond with a rebuttal, Christ has paid my fine. Christ has made me righteous. So I will not be under the condemnation of sin. I will walk in righteousness. For I'm, there's no condemnation to those who are in Christ because of what Christ has done. Let that be our song. Let that be our testimony every day of our lives. That the promise 
that came to Abraham by faith, we hold to, we have the result of that promise. We thank you, we love you. And we pray that this message will spread even to many more people, that the bondage that the law brings, people will be set free from it, set free to walk in righteousness and in newness of life with confidence and trust in Christ. We pray all these things in Jesus' mighty name. Amen. That was an awesome meal. Thank you for joining us as we studied the Word of God. If you would like to join the actual Word Dinner sessions live on Fridays, you can visit the link bmg.disha.page. It's always on Fridays, 9pm West African time. Don't forget to follow us on Instagram at bmg.global and see you when next it's dinner time.